Hi. Welcome to the Muso podcast. For those of you who don't know, Muso is a gig booking platform that connects hirers and artists. I'll be interviewing some incredible guests and uncovering their secret tips and tricks to hopefully give you a better understanding of the inner workings of the music industry. Welcome to episode two of the Muso podcast. Today we welcome Lauren Mikor, who got her start in the music industry at just the age of 17. It saw her working with one of Australia's biggest touring music festivals in the peak of electronic music, alongside some of the world's biggest acts. She then worked as an artist publicist, music writer, before finding her calling in management, where she has now built up an impressive list of accolades both with and for her artists, including a number of gold records, tours with some of the world's biggest names, including sold-out headline tours, international festival performances, including Ultra Miami and the main stage at Tomorrowland, Spotify streams and the tens of millions, and a roster of artists all touring internationally, now running her own successful management company under the Postmodern Collective. Lauren continues to go from strength to strength, working alongside her artists to create long, lucrative and exciting careers in music. If you've ever wanted to get into artist management, this is the podcast for you. Lauren Meikor, welcome to the Muso podcast. I'd like to think you've been a good friend of Muso ever since we started, really. Oh, that's so nice. I like to think I have been too. You guys have been so kind to me. (laughs) I think what's been like really incredible for us to watch, like I think Muso launched maybe about three or four years ago, is watching you in that space in the and how much your career has just like taken off in a sense in those last three or four years. But what I'd like to really touch on now and what I think a lot of people can relate to, where it all started, a Mm 15-year-old Lauren sneaking in. Was it Creamfields Festival? You still remember. (laughs) Yeah, it was. (laughs) Yeah, it was Creamfields. Don't tell my boss. (laughs) For our international listeners, describe what kind of festival Creamfields was. It was like, it was at the peak of like that EDM phase. Um, And God, I can't even remember who was playing. Maybe like the Bloody Beetroots were playing. And it was epic and like chaotic and busy and dirty and gross and it was so much fun and that was the first festival that I ever snuck into and yeah, yeah that kind of like sparked everything that was a catalyst for everything and what what was it about like kind of that experience that kick-started your love for music what was it about being at that festival we kind of made a decision we just like this is something I want to do. This is what I want to get involved in. Kind of. Like I, I've always been in music, always loved music, always kind of had an inkling that I was going to do something in that in that realm. Um, but I don't know. I just remember like being sort of in the middle of the main stage and looking up at the stage and I was like, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to work on that main stage and I'm going to work with those artists and like coincidentally worked on a variation of that main stage and worked with variations of those artists. So it was... Yeah, it's kind of nice to look back on now and be like, oh, yeah, I did that. (laughs) What was the process like after that festival? Obviously, you're still in school. Did you tell your parents that this is what you wanted to do or did you let them know afterwards? I did. (laughs) I did. I think my dad's reaction was like, dance music. People people take drugs at those festivals. And I was like, I get it. But (laughs) my mom was, was, you know, both of my parents were super supportive, but I think they also, you know, sort of look at music and like the entertainment industry industry and they're like okay but like what's your backup plan yes you know like what's plan b and i'm like i, I don't have a plan b like i want to do this yeah. they're like okay that's cool but like you know like maybe do pr for a uni degree which yes. i ended up doing and it worked <laughs> well but also like you know i think when they look at what i'm doing now they're kind of like how yeah. did that happen <laughs> so what was the kind of first steps is getting into the industry was it handing out resumes sending out emails and seeing what you get back first yeah kind of like i i remember I remember um, I was sending out things on LinkedIn, like way before I knew how to use LinkedIn or like knew what it was. And I had hit up probably like a hundred people just being like, hi, it's me. Like I love music. (laughs) Hi, me. And my, my, who turned into my boss, this guy called John Curtin, who is amazing. Um, used to do marketing for Totem One Love and Stereosonic at the time. Um, and he actually wrote back to me and was like, yeah, cool. Like come in for a meeting. And I did. And I got the job and it was like, like I used to drive to work and have my music blaring and my windows down and like (laughs) smile for my hour driving. And I was so happy to have that job and it was great. (laughs) And what kind of stuff are you doing when you you first got in? Was it, it was working on festival? (laughs) 
It was, yeah. I remember like my first ever, my first ever job that I did there yeah. was I counted posters. I counted like hundreds of posters. Wearing out that stoked. index finger. <laughs> oh yeah. I was, I was so happy with that. I was like, mom, I counted posters today. It was the best. Um, but yeah, that kind of progressed to like more interesting things. Um, and, you know, we worked like across the marketing campaigns for stereo and like did a bunch of PR stuff with the PR company that worked with them. And um, yeah, I don't know. It was really interesting seeing like how back to front festival campaigns run. Yeah. Um, and like at that time, you know, it was when Calvin Harris and, Swedish House Mafia and like all of those people were really, really blowing up. Yeah. So just to see that and be part of that at that time was epic. Yeah. It was so I, cool. Ivan Van Buren, Carl Cox. Was it the kind of job yes. where they sometimes threw you in the deep end? So they'd be like, hey, Lauren, we need you to go and go and do this. Do you have like a, a strange memory from anything like that where it's just like, hey, you got to go pick up Carl Cox from the airport or, you know? <laughs> Like no that. picking up car clocks from the airport. Um, like, yes and no. You know, they were really, really supportive. And, like, my boss, all of the people that I worked with were just amazing. Um, but I think as well, you know, I was so young. I was so young. And a lot of the time I had no clue what I was doing. So, yeah, there was definitely times where I was like, oh, my God, I am so far over my head. Like, I remember one um, one day it was, like, on festival day, everyone's super stressed, and I just, like, melted down. I was like, no, this is too much. And it was fine and everything was okay. But, like, yeah, definitely was in the deep end often. <laughs> is it what you thought it would be like when you first first jumped in and started working there? I mean, it's a shit show. Like, everything <laughs> in music is a complete shit show, and the hours are so long. And, you know, like, you really do work really hard, but I yep. think that hard work is you know it, it's worth it in the end because the benefits are so so great and you feel so great when everything finally comes together after you've been like crying non-stop, <laughs> non-stop for a few weeks you know it's um yeah I don't know and so what was the progression to lucky entertainment you know working with like Tiger Lily Will Sparks um so one of my friends at the time Kieran Dole who is now a partner at Lucky um had hit me up and he's like hey I see you you know studying PR and you're working for stereo and he did me a massive solid and yeah backed me and was like hey come come join us um and at the time it was myself Luke who's a director and Kieran and again it was kind of that thing of like you know just the grind like a startup company in the in the you know peak of like EDM and Will Sparks, I think was one of their first clients and he was really blowing up. And yeah, so it was really interesting, like being with them for five years in total and just seeing like how that company went from a few people and like a couple of artists to like the monster that it became. Yeah. Cause I mean, they do uh, record labels, publishing, club nights. They do like everything now. They've got everything. Yeah. They're doing really well. So what what was know. it like over that five years kind of being part of a company that was growing and evolving? Like, could you feel yourself learning new skill sets, feeling more comfortable to, you know, in any kind of situation really? Totally. And I think like the benefit of being with companies that are growing like that when everyone's kind of figuring it out as they go, like you figure it out as you go. And I think that has been very, very ingrained into, you know, the way that I work now. It's like, I'm figuring it out as I go. I've never had a rule book. I haven't really had, um, you know, I haven't really had that much guidance in terms of people being like, here's the 12 steps that you need to take to get to where you want to be. I'm just like, let's just try and like see what happens. I don't know. Is that addictive? Is that one of the things you like the most about it? The fact that, you know, every day is different. Yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah, it's really addictive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, I definitely thrive on chaos as much as I complain about it. Like, yeah. you know, I get bored so quickly. So the more things are like all over the place and, you know, it keeps it exciting. It's nice. So I guess over those five years in Lucky Entertainment, you're dealing with bands and their management and things like that. Was management mm-hmm. something that you started to think about when you were there or was it there? Was there one artist that you were just like, okay, I have to manage this person? How did that happen? Yeah, there was. Cool. Um, so I think I was doing publicity when I was at Lucky and, you know, I'd come from like a festival background. So I was starting to learn a bunch of different things in different areas. Yes. Um, 
And, you know, me being the type of person that just gets bored real quickly, I was like, I'm sick of PR. Like, I hate this. I want to try something else. <laughs> yeah. Um, and at the time, there was an artist that was making trance music. And this artist turned out to be Running Touch. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So, yeah, um, I remember he like, came into the office and he was playing all of his music. And it was like this incredible, like Chet Faker-esque I don't know. It was amazing. And yeah, I think we all kind of sat there and we're like, whoa, okay. have to do something with this. Like yeah. let's, let's make a name and let's, you know, figure it out. And at the time he had a different name and, you know, we were like, I think we were both 19 yeah. maybe like we were so young. No, actually we would have had to be a little bit older, but yeah, we were super young. Um, and yeah, I don't know. We just like got our hands dirty and like yeah. started putting stuff out. And then I remember like when Triple J sent us an email, we were like, what <laughs> is happening? Like that was so exciting. Yeah. Still now when I get an email from Triple J, I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, so he was the first, he was the first one. And I was like, okay, I've got a vision for this. Like it's from cool. now to like arenas. Um, and yeah, like we're still doing it. We're still slogging away. I, I, I wouldn't say slogging. I say you're dominating. <laughs> Dominating, yeah, I guess you can say dominating. <laughs> so, Lauren, I'm really interested in the transition between working with Lucky Entertainment in Melbourne and then living in Ibiza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a big change. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, that that came about quite quickly. Um, I had an opportunity to work with um, a DJ duo that I just I couldn't say no to it. Like it was absolutely incredible, um, and you know they're like some of the top DJs in the world, and I was like, I got to do it. Um, so I left Lucky and I was working from home for like a couple of months. Um, and like all of this was in plan and yeah, I jumped on a plane and moved to Ibiza and lived there for a couple of months, um, working with them. And like, it was, it was wild. I can imagine. What what was it like working and living in a place like that? (laughs) I mean, you don't sleep much <laughs> yeah. at all ever <laughs> no I think like by the time that I'd left Ibiza um I was really really tired <laughs> you know because I'm, I'm still working with running touch at this point as yeah. well and um I had one of my other clients side and so I was like on Australian time and European time and then we'd have shows with the girls which would be from like you know 11 p.m. until yeah. stupid o'clock in the morning and then I'd get home and be awake at stupid o'clock in the morning to do Australian stuff again and it was a lot like it was really hard but it was I mean you're living on like a beautiful island in one of the best like party slash music places in the world like yeah you know you put up with a lack of sleep how, how did you do it because I mean that is a long time to be doing these <laughs> two things on two different time zones. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't recommend it. Like, <laughs> I think there was quite a few emails that were being missed. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like I was on reflection. I'm like, far out. I was burnt out. Yeah. But I mean, it was, you know, it was a, like a really exciting time in my career and like made such good contacts. Yes, and of course. I feel like it was such a necessary thing to do, you know, like just learning all that stuff and being over there in a completely different, completely different music culture and kind of getting out of Australia to get more perspective yeah. was incredible. What was the one thing you learned the most about being on the other side of the world in, in that kind of um, industry? I guess that there's more to life than like, you know, being an Aussie artist and like selling a few shows in Melbourne or yes. like getting an ad to Triple J. Like there's, there's so much to do out there. Yeah. So like set your sights big. I don't yeah. know, dream big, like do exciting things. Yeah. But I guess it must have been great to take that motivation and to see what it was like and then come back here and apply it to artists like Running Touch too. Totally, totally. And it's, yeah, I mean, like there's only a few chances in your life that you get to do super cool things like that without, you know, thinking about your house mortgage or like yes, all of the things that come with being an adult. So, yeah, it was exciting. What was the most daunting part about becoming a full-time manager? Um, I guess, I mean, the obvious one is like going from being paid a wage and having a stable income to yes. earning potentially nothing, potentially lots. Like that is so, so scary. Um, and yeah, that took a lot of, um, a lot of weighing up and, you know, I kind of sat back and I was like, okay, well I can continue in this job for six months or a year or two years or whatever and stay where I am. 
or I can like take a leap of faith. And then as I've always done, just figure it out. And, you know, that was like the best decision hands down that I've ever made. Oh, I bet. How important is it to take your time when you're managing an artist? Obviously looking after an artist that just wants to get out there and do everything yeah. now. How, how do you go about managing those expectations and setting a timeline? Uh, I mean, like, I feel like I'm one of those people that just wants to like get everything out <laughs> and do it all now yeah. as well. So I, I understand it from the artist's perspective. Um, but I think it's just about having that long-term strategy. And like, I learned this off running touch, you know, he teaches me so much. And one of the things that he's always said is, you know, like an overnight success often drops off as quickly as they've kind of risen to the top. Yes. Um, and like there's some rare cases where that doesn't happen, but you know, a lot of the time now, like the way that people consume music, yeah. it's just so quick. Mm. Um, but if you're building a fan base and loyalty and love over 10 years, like you're going to have a lot more longevity. Your fans are going to be a lot more loyal to you and the music. So yeah, I think that's definitely something that needs to be like hammered into people's minds over a period of time. Cause yeah. like, you know, even for me still now, um, you know, I have conversations with, with running touch and he's like, we don't need to do it all now. I'm like, Oh yeah. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> it, and, it, and it must be yeah. so hard now compared to like five years ago, because now you can put out a track and release it all around the world, you know, the strategy yeah. must have changed so much as a manager in the last yeah. five years. I reckon it has. And like, you know, I'm still learning like TikTok. <laughs> Even with TikTok, I'm like, am I old? I don't, I don't quite get this. Yeah, no, it definitely has. Um, and I hate thinking that like I'm old school, but I feel like I almost am old school <laughs> in terms of, you know, like I put so much value on personal relationships. Like yeah. I don't want to do things in a really like broad, massive capacity. I want to have meaning behind the relationships that we have and the the people around the projects. I think that's super important. Um, but yeah, like I'm still learning, you know, all these ways of like, I don't know, the new things that managers are doing. Now. Yeah. Like, this is very interesting to me. As being a manager, is it um, do you is it that kind of thing where you have to kind of restrain yourself sometimes? Like you hear so much amazing music, and you're like, I want to manage this person, that person, that person. What's like the dating period between an artist that you kind of connect with to kind of becoming their manager? Um, uh, I've done, I've I've done it all. Yep. I've done the you know like overnight we have to work together. Yeah, and I've done the you know, couple of years kind of dating period. Yeah. Um, and I think like I've always said to my artists and I try and be really honest about this, you know, like I want to make sure I'm all in before I commit you to me. <laughs> yes. Like I, I want to give you everything that I possibly can. And I need to know that I understand the vision and where you're going and you know what you like as a person and that we see if not eye to eye, like we have a mutual understanding and a mutual respect and a mutual trust for each other. Yeah. Because otherwise it just doesn't work. And that takes a really long time. You know, you sometimes you like get to know people quite quickly and other times mm. it takes a really long time. So I has there ever been a frustrating moment where you've just loved the music that this musician is doing? You're like, I want to manage it, but you just don't get along for some reason. So you have to kind of, <laughs> you know, you're like, this is going to be a hit everywhere, but like, it's just, it's not clicking. I don't think we can do it. Yeah. I mean, it happens, like it happens all the time. I try and listen to all the demos that hit my inbox as well. And mm. like, there's been a few in the last few weeks and I'm like, this is amazing. Like, yeah. it's so good, but I just... I need to be really realistic and yes. like, you know, do I have the capacity? Do I have the capacity to like, you know, do I have the emotional capacity to go through getting to know someone and like going through that dating period and stuff right now? And like, I'm, I'm busy. It's <laughs> probably yeah. not right now, but yeah. It, um, I don't know. It like takes a while. <laughs> what are your relationships like? You mentioned with the running touch, obviously you guys are best friends. Does it get difficult <laughs> with, with all of your roster when you have to kind of make that hard decisions when you don't see eye to eye? Yeah. I mean, it always is. And like, I'm sure some managers are different and, you know, some managers see this as like purely business and it's just business. But mm. for me, it's not just business. It's like, I'm all in, in the same way that, you know, if you're a musician and you love your craft and you love what you do, like you are all in. So I don't know. It's, it's really difficult when stuff isn't working out because like there's just so much emotional stuff tied to it and there's so much love tied to it. So it is really tricky when you need to be like, Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I think like, you know, if it's not working for me, it's not working for you and like definitely vice versa. 
yeah. I think there's often like that mutual feeling where you're like, oh, it's just not right. Do you think um, in this day and age, especially like in the last five years, it's important to keep artists on top of things like finances and being aware of the business side of management as well? This is a funny one. Yes. In short, yes, totally. Like you want to be across everything. So, you know, you can never turn around to your team and be like, oh, like where'd this money go? Or where did, what's happening with all the bills that I meant to pay or whatever. Like, of course, be across your business stuff. But at the same time, I have had trouble in the past when artists want to be really involved in the business stuff. Yes. And it just holds everything up and it like, Mm -hmm. you know, starts hindering other aspects of of their career. So um, now that we have money, I'm a big believer in like paying people for the things that you don't know how to do. Yes. We have the most amazing business management team um shout out to guild group shout out <laughs> but they are they are honestly like my saviors um and running touch's girlfriend is basically his everything and like you know does a lot of work for him and she is my saving grace too like yeah there's yeah i think like getting people involved to handle the stuff that you can't handle is so so important yeah. What are, what are those kind of ground level skills that you think managers just, just need to have in this day and age that maybe not 10 years ago? That's a really good question. I think like being personable, I think is a really good quality to have, especially when you're starting out as a manager, because you need to pull in favors. If you have no money and an artist that no one cares about, like that is so important. Yeah. <laughs> you need people to like you. Um, but I mean, having an understanding of, you know, having, having an understanding of a couple different fields is super important because I think there's a lot of managers that, you know, might be really, really great in the digital space yeah. and have absolutely no understanding of like music yes. or, you know, how to do any of that stuff. So I think just having a broad skill set is pretty important. Like working in a couple different fields or like doing a couple different internships before you even consider like managing a person's career and livelihood yeah. is super important. Um, networking too, I suppose. A lot of people that are yeah, listening to this totally. that just think that are thinking about getting into management. How important is networking? It's absolutely who you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like that. I mean, networking has made my career really. Um, yeah. And still to this day, I will DM people on Instagram and I will take the most unconventional routes to like get in touch with people. But you just have to do it. You know, if you're like teetering around emails and like going through people's assistance and stuff, like you're just never going to get what you want. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, like, yeah. <laughs> do whatever you can to meet people. It's so important. Do you have any advice to people that have been doing the kind of hard yards behind the scenes, um, you know, in publicity and kind of working their way up now? where they're ready to take the plunge and do management but feel a bit daunted about the state of everything at the moment and they might be a bit reluctant. Do you have any any uh, advice I mean, for them? Like I'm daunted by stuff at the moment. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's silly thinking that anyone in music is not daunted by what's going on. So if there's any like reassurance in that, you know, we're all scared. We all have no idea what's happening. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, maybe it's a nice time just to like kind of dip your feet in and like take the plunge a little. Yeah. I think um, you can easily start managing and start, you know, like putting your feelers out and just getting a vibe for the job without actually committing fully. You know, yeah. like I did that for years and it was just a matter of me like setting up a release and like sending out a couple of emails and like seeing who bites and yeah, taking that approach from there. It doesn't have to be yeah. full in straight away. And still, I'm interested on your opinion on this now, like the, while there are no gigs, there are a lot of opportunities in merch and streaming too during this time. Yeah. Yeah. And brand partnerships. Yeah. I've just been doing some stuff with um, an amazing company, CEA, who are looking after some huge clients in, you know, Australian music and beyond. Um, and they, there is so many opportunities in brand partnerships right now. That's cool. So I think like really doing research and figuring out, you know, how do you position yourself in a way that's appealing to brands is kind of important because if we can't have shows and, you know, people are a little bit more hesitant to spend money, then what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to, yeah. how are you going to make money? So, yeah, I think that's another one to like really keep in mind. That's really interesting. So if you're working with Running Touch, would you suggest something like that to him? You know, the brands approach you. What, how's that kind of work? Totally. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think Running Touch is a funny one because he, his brand and, you know, his way of working is so specific. Okay. 
and not every artist is perfect for brand partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like he he wants to keep his brand super, super clean and he wants to make sure that, you know, everything is um, super intentional and it's not just for the sake of like quick cash as with as other artists who are just money-making machines. Like they yeah. are so appealing to brands and they look great and it looks and feels really authentic and it's cool and fans love it. And like, that's awesome too. You know, it just depends on what the artist wants, what makes sense for the brand and yeah, yeah like finding a happy medium. What I love about you is you've, you've literally, you've done all this groundwork yourself. You've just done it all yourself, which is so enviable. Do you have any hacks for any of our listeners when it comes to management and, you know, funding it themselves too? Because it can be expensive at the start. It can be so expensive. And like, I don't even know if they've got any hacks. (laughs) I think honestly, just like you just have to try. You really just have to like trust your gut and give it a go. Mm. Because most of the time, like no one's going to listen to you. If you've got no experience, it's really, really hard to get a job as a manager. Mm. Like you need to find an artist that you believe in. It doesn't matter if other people don't believe in them. Like you need to believe in them. And you'll make that work. If that's the case, you yeah. will make that work. Yeah. Because people won't get the vision until stuff starts happening and they start seeing, you know, like people going to shows or dollar signs or whatever yeah. it is. So like you just have to give it a go and like, you know, start reaching out to people and start from the ground up. That's really good advice. What if there's like a manager out there now? I'm just like imagining this manager because I actually know a guy who was like this, who's one of the great managers in the country now, who's super shy when he started out and found this artist, was but was a little bit intimidated about making the first step. How do you... What would you say to someone about, you know, making that first step to go, hey, I want to manage you? Uh, I guess, you know, if if there's a way that you can get one of your music contacts to kind of put in a good word and like do the intro, that's awesome. That's the preferred route. Um, But if not, like I hit up artists on DMs all the time and like send them weird emails at weird times. (laughs) I'm like, hey, just call me. (laughs) Um, And, you know, like that that has been the case with a couple of the artists that I've worked with. I have... (laughs) hit them up at stupid times or like hit their parents up and you know they have ended up working with them so yeah how do you um go and you've a lot of your artists have experienced success how do you go about keeping them grounded while it's happening you know a song will take off shows will start to sell out how do you go about keeping them level-headed you don't want to wear them out their mental health um they want to keep fresh for songwriting things like that not to overload them yeah it's it's really hard like i'm i'm still learning definitely um i think like the most important thing is having a relationship with your artist where you can both be super transparent with each other and super honest and you know if I'm like hey we have to do this show or we have to do this studio session because the world's going to burn if we don't then I'm going to tell them that and if they think that their own world's going to burn if they do do it I'm like all right cool like we're not going to do it all good (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah I think just having that like really transparent sort of means of communication is important because otherwise I can't read minds like they don't know what emails I'm looking at that's making me like ah we have to do this (laughs) so yeah how important is looking after an artist's mental health so 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 important and like I think um one thing that I've really thought about a lot lately is you know there's so much emphasis on artists and their mental health but I think um you know the rest of the music industry and the people that kind of make the wheels turn and everything they're all going through the same shit you know everyone's experienced COVID and everyone's experienced like hardships in different ways and I think um just everyone kind of looking out for each other and like being easy on each other is critical. Um, but like, you know, when my artist calls me and says, Hey, I'm having a really rough time, like take the time that you need because we're not going to get music and we're not going to get other things if you're feeling like shit. So that's super important. How are your artists holding up throughout all of this? Good. Considering. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think good. And I think like a really, really important thing for us has been just knowing that our team is so solid and everyone loves each other so, so dearly that, you know, it's cool. Like we'll make it work when we can play shows. It's going to be fine. Um, But yeah, that's been, that's been a saving grace for all of us, I think. Awesome. Hey, Lauren, do you have any advice for artists that are self-managed? Yeah, I think if you're self-managed, you know, your relationships with everyone is going to be the make or break of your career. Um, It's a really hard thing to be self-managed. It's hard. Um, And I think having 
having friendships with people as well will help. Yeah. <laughs> like being being able to, you know, call call your friends for favors um and have really good relationships with, you know, your Spotify editors or radio station or whatever. Like that's super important. And I know that there's been a bunch of artists that, you know, I've worked with in the past as well that have gotten to where they are because of the people that they know and the relationships that they've had. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to know everything about management. I think you've learned that on the way, but definitely like having the right people around you to give you the right advice and like to help you where they can is crucial. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any advice for people who want to get in the music industry, but haven't really found their niche yet? Uh, it's- I get like I am thinking about it. I'm like, do I have a niche? I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking like, it too. Everyone yeah. <laughs> listening is thinking it. Right? Like, I don't know. I think having having a personal brand is super important. Um, if you don't have a niche, you know, like my personal brand um revolves quite heavily around my artists, but like people know me and they know what I'm about and they know how I work. And I think that's quite helpful. So maybe it's not important having a niche. Maybe it's just like being able to brand yourself and everything that you do in a nice way is important. I'm keen to touch on um, ways you can be productive and tips you'd have about, you know, daily routine and things like that. Are there little things that you do every day that kind of help you help you work? There definitely is now. Um, like for so long, I was, you know, on the road all the time and tired and sleeping in and had no routine and I was all over the place for so long. And that was just so normal to me. But now, like, thanks to being stuck inside for nine, however long we've been locked down for, I've been been um like I wake up religiously at 5 a.m every morning and I go for a walk and I like do exercise it's amazing it's like so unlike me um but that like having that few hours in the morning where it's no music talk no business no anything has been amazing because my life before that was like just music and now I've got a few hours for Lauren and then after that it's like you know I'll sit down at my computer like get the shit stuff out of the way first thing do my calls first thing um have my coffee and then troll through the mess (laughs) for the rest of the day but yeah I don't know like I think just that I've never really been a routine person and now like having that morning time to myself before everything starts to fall apart throughout the day (laughs) is so nice it's amazing <laughs> I feel I feel like like I'm the same like like we haven't been touring. I think it's done wonders for my mental health. I, I think it's just been like totally. being able to sleep in the same bed every night. You're eating healthier. You're exercising more. It just shows like how much touring can just throw you out. You know, physically, mentally. Yeah. You know, you falling into bad habits. You're having a beer every night. It's it's amazing how being stationary. It's it's almost changed my life. Absolutely. And like, you don't realize how much it catches up on you at the time. I think when you've like gone through that felt shit for a while and then kind of get out of it, you look back and you're like, Oh my God, like, how did I survive? (laughs) But yeah, it's like, you know, it's, it's brutal. It's really brutal, especially when you're not sleeping and then you're trying to do everything, which is like taxing at the best of times, you know, poor musicians, like just doing that with no end in sight. I think this has been so nice for everyone just to be like, whoa, like, thank God for a break. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think this will help musos going forward as well to kind of be a bit more of aware on how important things like routine and, you know, looking after yourself can be? I really, 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 really hope that it like changes the industry on a bit of, you know, on another level, because I think musicians know when they're burnt out because they're not creating in the same way. And, you know, like they really, really feel it, but there's the other people like, you know, even above managers as like the record labels and all the people with a vested interest in the artist that just expect so much. But now I think, you know, a lot of the conversations that I have uh, with people that are high up at record labels that are like, oh, it's been so nice spending time with my family and relaxing and not traveling all the time. So I hope that there's like this systemic change across the whole music industry where everyone is just a little bit lighter on, you know, the the work that we have to do. That'd be nice. When it eventually goes back to normal, um, how did you keep it together? When, it, when you're doing a, a million things at once and traveling around the world and what are some little things you do while you're traveling? Um, sleeping on airplanes is the best. Like I nailed that. <laughs> I did it. Well done. <laughs> that was one thing I was really good at. Um, no, I don't like, 
I think you keep it together as best you can, but it's, it's really hard to, and you know, like I didn't have a team. I had running touch. I had Maddie who yeah works with running touch and she's just so good. Um, and then we had a couple of other people involved in the project and like, uh, once removed sort of capacity. Um, but it's hard. Like you stay on top of your emails and you like do everything you can to get by. But I, I haven't figured it out, so I can't give advice on that. <laughs> any meditation or yoga retreats? Any any short ten minute things that you do? Um, I think like definitely, definitely having a circle of people in music that you can trust and just like bounce off is really important. Like some of my dearest friends in music, when everything felt like it was absolutely about to fall apart, you know, they're the first, first people that I call and like, yeah, having, you know, everyone says it, but like prioritizing your health is so important and like meditating and doing yoga when you're feeling frantic and like everything's all over the place is important because you can't make good decisions when you've got like 50,000 things in your mind. So that's, you know, again, this year, like something that I've really noticed is I can kind of zoom out and have this expansive view on like everything and just make decisions with a really clear mind. It's great. It's so good. How do you go about tackling the inbox? You know, you've got 200 emails (laughs) and you've got to get through them in a day. Any small kind of simple hacks for that? Um, I archive a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I think like my my favorite one is if it's a two-minute task or a two-minute reply, like just get it done. Yep. Don't put it off. Just get it out of the way. Um, the other thing is the stuff that you're like dreading the most. Try and do that first thing in the morning. Like get it out of the way. Don't give yourself anxiety over not doing it. Um, and then, yeah, like every couple of months when my inbox is like sitting in the thousands and I just can't get through it, I just do the good old archive and I'm like, people will come to me after. I don't want to see your archive folder. No, no, I think like it's, yeah, you do what you have to do to like keep on top of it, but sometimes it's just not realistic. So You've been in the industry since you were 17. How important is it being efficient with your finances? So important, so important. My mom, um, like from a young age, was like, you have to save your money, like save $2 a week, just save money. And I think that has been really, you know, ingrained in um, everything that I do. And I've always had a little bit of money behind me from like just my own savings, which is great because when I quit my job at Lucky and, you know, moved overseas and like wasn't earning an amazing, amazing wage like if I didn't have money I wouldn't have been able to do that um but yeah like it's I don't know like having savings has just been my lifeline yeah (laughs) so make sure you save your money do not spend it all even like when you're touring and stuff you know like poor running touch I'm such a tight ass with everything that he does and we had many fights like no I shouldn't say fights we had many disagreements where I was like stop spending like we need to save every single cent because you're gonna need it and now he's like you know he's in a good position so great that's really good how important is it to surround yourself with positive people, people that aren't downers, people that aren't, you know, always in bad moods, surrounding yourself with the right team? Oh, my God. that That is, like, the key. Um, I think that and people that you can trust is so, so important. Like, you know, don't make friends just for the sake of, like, getting something out of someone, like, make friends because you like these people and that will do you favors in the long run. You know, like I feel like the music industry is quite fickle and people can appear really nice and be like, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing. So yeah, I think just having, having good people around you, having people that you trust, having friends outside of music is like so important as well. Just being able to kind of separate your two worlds is yeah, super important. Lauren, for musicians who are just starting out, who are the first people that should be a part of their team? Who's the most important? I'm going to – no, I sound biased. I'd say manager, but I think, you know, it really differs from artist to artist. Like some artists um, from the get-go have, you know, two or three amazing songs and they haven't released anything yet and their brand's like on point and they're just so ready to go. Like a manager will help you. If that's the case, if you're an artist that's releasing things, you know, just for the sake of like testing the waters and getting stuff out and you haven't got a clear brand and you're, you know, like learning as you go and you haven't developed a show or you can't play instruments or whatever it is, like 
you don't need a manager yet. You know, don't give 20% of your income away to someone who's like trying to help you figure it out. Like go through the motions, do the work and, um, you know, get an agent on board once your show is ready and manager can come from there. Yeah. I think, you know, like as a manager as well, I think what lots of managers look for is artists that know who they are, where they want to go. Um, it's a lot harder to work with an artist who doesn't quite have a clear vision because I think that's when you get, you know, that's when there's like disagreements and that's when the manager goes, okay, I've got this amazing clear vision for you. Like, here's where you're going. And the artist learns a bit more and like learns about themselves a bit more and kind of gets down the line and they're like, Mm. this isn't who I am. Like, this isn't what I want to do. So that to me is really, really important that, you know, you're not like just jumping in for the sake of being like, I have a manager. It's... Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Work it out first and then, you know, your team will come from there. If, if you're an artist and just say, for example, you, you can't get a booking agent but you want to get noticed by a manager, what, what are the ste- simple steps you can take at the start? Uh, I think like being in Australia, one of the best things that we have is Triple J Unearthed. Like I say it all the time, but like that is such a good tool. Um, but also, you know, just like having, say, if someone DMs me on Instagram and says, hey, I've got this song, I love your work, whatever it is. Um, the first thing that I look at is their Instagram. If they've got like awesome photos, clear vision, they can see what they look like and who they are as an artist, then that's interesting to me. What's a good way to start on the socials? Because, you know, it's it's hard to obviously having 4,000 followers looks more impressive than, you know, three or 400 for bands that are at yeah. that point. Is it just post more on your socials? Try and get as much stuff out there as you can. I don't know if there's necessarily a particular method. You know, like some of my artists um, have had literally like millions of followers and other artists that I've worked with have had none and like grow very, very slowly. But that's just the brand. You know, they don't post everything about their life. So I think it's just like what's authentic to you and what you want to do is pretty critical. You know, things will come if you're doing it. If you're doing it in a way that feels right to you, Things will work around you. Yeah, there's no point trying to not be yourself and do all these extravagant things if it's exactly. not doesn't suit your personality. No, you'll just look back on it and hate yourself. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the most important traits for an artist to have? I uh, I think definitely clear vision. Like that's that's super important. And knowing knowing who they are, knowing what they want from their team is really, really important as well. Like, you know, I've had artists speak to me and say, I want a manager and they expect the manager is just going to like do their bookkeeping. And I'm like, you don't want a manager. You want, you know, you want a bookkeeper or, you know, you want an assistant. You don't need a manager because you're making all the decisions and you're doing all the work. So I think like knowing, knowing what roles you want to fill out and knowing, you know, like having the right expectations when it comes to like working with someone else is pretty critical too. I guess there are a lot of acts that don't really understand too much of the business side of management. What are some of the things Sonata should take to kind of get on top of the finances from the get-go? Like, touring is so expensive. Like, you know, touring is so expensive. Don't get me started. It's it's, it's a nightmare, (laughs) especially in Australia. Oh, it's rough. Like, if you're a band, you are spending, you know, $1,200 Oh, $1,200 is being kind, I think, but like $1,200 by the time you get to a show, pay the sound guy, set up, like it, it's so expensive and you're probably getting paid 200 for it. So I think definitely like, you know, just if you can just wait a little bit, just like get a few things in line before you're like flogging yourself at shows and spending all your money, um, work a part-time job, save your money there because you'll need it. You know, like there's definitely some shitty things that you have to do to like get cash on the side to fund a music career. If you're not signing to a label or you haven't got, you know, parents money or you haven't got anything to fall back on, like you have to do it yourself. There's no glamorous way around it. It's like do the hard jobs. Would you recommend like a band starting an ING account where everyone chucks in 50 bucks, you know, a month or a small kind of method like that? Totally. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, one thing that, is great from the get-go is like making sure that it's fair and you know having all the band members feel like they're contributing equally and like no one's feeling ripped off and that's that's a great way to keep everyone happy and keep everyone accountable too so if there's a band out there right now who's made a manager they think it's all right and they're being offered a contract is there anything they should be weary about while looking over it any red yeah, flags yeah, to look, after your contra- <laughs> look after your contract yeah like i ugh. 
Ugh, contracts. I hate them too. I don't like putting contracts in front of my artists. Oh, but you like you have to do it and you have to pay a lawyer to look over it. It's that is like the be all and end all because I know too many people that have signed shitty contracts and it's like ended careers. Yeah. Pay a lawyer. That's the first thing that you pay for. <laughs> mm, it's important, isn't it? Like it, it really is like so it's important. like you said, like careers can be broken over it. Yeah. And like if you can't afford a contract or your manager's not sending you a contract, one thing that I've learned the hard way is like just get, you know, some terms in writing. Hey, Lauren, how important is it for a band to, you know, kind of, perceive themselves as a business as opposed to, you know, just being a rock and roll band. We're going to go out there and play some shows. Like it's a thing to take seriously. Well, I guess it's like, do you want to do this for fun or is this your career? Because that's, that's the difference. You know, if you're doing this on the side and you're not willing to give up your day job, like it's going to be really hard to make it work. Um, I, yeah, I think like if you want to take it seriously and that's going to be a career, it's like this has to be a full-time thing and you have to put in every single bit of energy and creative energy that you've got to like make it work because it's really fucking hard and it's going to take a really long time. What about um, artists that want to get on an agent's roster? What's the best way to approach them? Um, maybe similar to a manager, you know, like um, – kind of if, if you if you see them looking after artists that you like and you respect their work um hit them up on instagram send them an email like send them your music if you get them at the right time on the right day sometimes they'll listen to it sometimes they won't and that's like also okay and like i have you know so many agent friends that will hit me up and send me um artists that have reached out to them and like if I have an artist hit me up and I think they'd be great for one of my agent friends I always always send them along so there's definitely value in that that's really good to know six degrees separation kind of thing just because you've sent something to one person doesn't mean they haven't sent it to a few others absolutely and I think like you know a lot of the people especially in Australian music everyone loves music everyone loves like young exciting new talent so like if we find something that we think is exciting for sure we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Hey, moving yeah. forward in this strange time we're in, uh, point of recording, we are both in Melbourne lockdown. What are your three <laughs> predictions for the industry moving forward over the next couple of years? Oh, boy. I don't know. <laughs> Just TikTok. Really... Everything's on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's run by AI. <laughs> no, I really, really hope that, um, like I said before, I really hope that there's a systemic change in the way that people work because yeah. I think – what we were doing and how we were working as an industry was just not sustainable and it was not healthy. You know, there's like this constant pressure to like grind and, you know, be working all the time. And it's just, you can't do that until you're 60. (laughs) Like everyone was so tired. Um, So that's one thing that I really hope does change. And I, I feel hopeful that it will. Um, I think there's going to be a really shift in like a really big shift in where the music hubs are around the world yeah um i don't i I don't know if america will be the music hub moving forward you know if no one can travel if everyone's having to like quarantine i don't know like how do people afford it how do people tour internationally so that'll be really interesting um and i hope that there's you know i hope that us all being locked in australia kind of gives a lot of artists a chance to like burst into this bubble a little bit more um, it's yeah, gonna, that would be so exciting. It's going to be, they're going to be some great opportunities for Australian bands moving forward. That must be exciting as a manager. So exciting. And like, I was speaking to one of the music guys the other day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, he got me really excited about like, you know, pub gigs coming back. And I was like, that's what I want. Like, I just want to go watch a cool guy with his guitar that like hasn't played many shows before in a pub. So epic. And like, that's all we're going to be allowed to do for a while. So that is so exciting. Lauren, you've been in the industry since you were 17. What are some of your pinch yourself moments? Oh my God. There is so much stuff going on in my brain right now. I had always wanted to live in Ibiza. Like that was just so high on my list. And the way that that came about was super random and not expected. So I think, you know, like working at one of the like super clubs there and standing on the stage and being like, holy shit, how did this happen? (laughs) Was epic. Um, Tomorrowland main stage was also another one that I did that I was like, this is bizarre how stuff works. (laughs) Um, But like seeing Running Touch play the forum in Melbourne was probably one of the most special moments of my life. And, you know, being able to look back on 
all of the work that we'd done from day one and be like, holy shit, like we did good. Yeah. <laughs> that was really special. And, you know, having all our family and friends there um, that have been along for the ride for six years now was just so cool. I think like it's really, really, really important to have as many pinch yourself moments as you possibly can because you don't know when you're never going to have a pinch yourself moment <laughs> again. Yeah. I love the fact that they're not just like big things as well, like little small things along the way. That's really cool. For our international <laughs> listeners, the forum essentially in Melbourne it's like the bucket list gig for every band absolutely the bucket list gig and it's like a beautiful beautiful venue and the vibe's amazing and like you've got enough people in there to be like holy shit like we're not a small band anymore (laughs) so you've got the great moments there I'm sure there are a couple of things that have gone wrong (laughs) along the journey (laughs) yeah Uh, I I just keep going back to this one time when it was Ronnie Touch's first proper US tour and like we were all way over our heads um, and we hit a point where we literally ran out of money. Like we had no cash and we were waiting for a big payment to come in what? and it was like the very 11th hour and I was like borderline breakdown and the money came in and everything was fine but like we were slumming it that entire tour and there was like a bunch of us like packed into a van and it was sweaty and it was gross and it was so much fun but where were yeah, you? I think like uh we were well we went all around the states but like I remember when we hit our like money had run out point we had a few days in LA in between shows and I was just sitting on the side of the bed being like (laughs) what do we do um but yeah I mean like that's that's the fun of it really like how do you you just have to I don't know you just have to make it work (laughs) I love that Do you feel like you kind of switch into a different mode when things like that happen? Um, I think for a while, like that was my everyday mode where it was just like, all right, what next? (laughs) Um, But definitely, yeah, like, you know, I think, I think like if I need to make something happen or if, you know, I need to get an answer from a certain person or like need to get in touch with someone, it's just like, what do I have to do to make it work, to make it happen? You know, that's what else do you do? Yeah, literally what else? You sit, you're in LA and you run out of money. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Lauren, thanks so much for chatting. One last thing I just really love to ask you, and I think I already know the answer, but what is it that you love most about being an artist manager? Oh God, my answer is going to be so corny. Right? Yeah, the corny. <laughs> I love the people that I work with. Like, I genuinely love them as humans, and I want to see them do well. And I just like really wish the best for them. And I think that makes me excited to like wake up every day and be like, let's do this really cool shit together. Um, that's definitely like the main thing in my mind, you know, even through times like this, like I just consider myself so lucky and I'm so grateful for the people that I work with, but then like, you know, being able to touch on a bunch of different things and like put it all under the artist management umbrella and like just it's a trial and error job, you know, like the opportunities are so endless in this job, which is exciting and fun that's what you want for a career right yeah absolutely well you left me with my favorite quote on management that should be on the management 101 handbook which is you are your artist number one fan that should be the rule totally absolutely that's yeah i still stand by that (laughs) awesome lauren thanks so much for chatting on the muso podcast looking forward to chatting next time you're the best couldn't couldn't be happier for all your success and looking forward to the next couple of years with all of your roster Uh, and keeping in touch who knows where we'll be in two years from now (laughs) yeah thank you so much for having me you're the best hey how good was that lauren mecor literally going from strength to strength and remember we've summarized the key takeaways in the show notes once again thanks for all of your support we've been absolutely overwhelmed if you haven't created your free muso profile yet it's super easy we'll help you get discovered get gigs and get paid and see you for episode three on the muso podcast